0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that you could be with us. You're among our guests. We're just delighted that you can be in our presence as we've assembled and tried to worship God. Thank you so much for coming and being with us. I appreciate Tony's lesson in the 9 o'clock hour. I appreciate him challenging us to think about some things we might not have thought of in the vein that he presented. And I appreciate his challenge for us to do that so much. Appreciate Jackson leading his song. Appreciate Joe's comments and all the prayers that have been made as well. Thank you for our brothers who've helped us to worship God. Jordan's out of town this weekend. He's uh, involved in the camp stuff. He's going to be a counselor this year at the Dry Creek Camp where a number of our kids are traveling to or will be this next week. And so he'll be gone this week. But also he finishes that on Saturday and then drives to Beaumont and does a weekend meeting at Northwest in Beaumont on the weekend, Saturday, and Sunday. So Jordan's trying to make up for lost time that he had in the six or eight weeks when he was down on the bench. And so he's putting it all in at one time here. So we look forward to having him back. Also, in two weeks, the 16th, 17th, and 18th, begins our weekend gospel meeting for this summer with Ryan Boyer, who's coming from St. Louis. This will be Ryan's first time to be with us. He's a very talented young man, and I think will do a good job for us. And so please be making plans, if you've not already done so, to be here that weekend. It will be a great weekend for us. Like I said, it's so, so good to see you. So glad that you can be here. Jody and I are blessed to have some of our grandkids with us this morning, our, our, one of our, our daughters and our grandkids are with us. And we're thankful that they can be, be part of us here as well. We get to enjoy today, but a lot of you get to enjoy every time we come. The one who wrote Cindy Who, Thing One or Thing Two, also wrote a book for those who are older entitled, "All the Places We May Go. And I've entitled that The Things You May Do. Lest you think I have lost my mind, I do pay attention to timing of things, and I do realize that we have a number of our young people out today, but we also still have a host of young people who are here today. And so rather than just go impromptu, I decided I would stay with what I've got and talk to the young people who are here today, but also this is not just for them. This is applicable to every age, regardless of what we are. But the primary focus is toward them we've just finished the time of graduation this is not the go to college sermon that we'll have in august so we just finished the graduation exercises for so many we have had an abundance of them this year and that is a great thing that our young people have accomplished that this year and about this same period of time there begins to be that that tug and that pull that takes place when graduation happens with regard to what the next step is going to be. Am I going to go off to college? What am I going to do? If I go off to college, am I going to stay home and go to college? If I stay home and go to college, how is that interaction going to be in the home? About this period of time also, you probably are tired of all the rules that have been given at home because you feel like you're 18, having graduated, and therefore you ought to be able to make up your own mind about some things. So why do I have a curfew? Why do I have all these rules? I remember very, very starkly when Cody turned 18 and subsequently Cam turned 18. I told them both, from this point on, you have no curfew. Their mother said, what are you thinking? What are you doing? I said, I want to give them enough rope to see how they're going to handle the responsibility, for I do still have some say, so when they go off, they'll know how to handle the responsibility that is given. Now, let me say, as a codicil to that, if you still feel like you need to impress your child with curfews, that's your business. You don't have to go crazy like I did. But it worked out well. But what they will know is, why do I still have all these rules that I have to obey? Can't I be on on my own? I remember what the psalmist said. I have been young and I have been old. And that's the reason. The reason is because we who are parents have been young and now are old. But the young have only been young. They've never been old. And so as older ones, having the welfare of our young people in mind, we have experienced some things in life under the sun and as people of God that we want to pass on to our children, but also we see some of the dangers, some of the possibilities for, for, for stumbling that are there that, that they may not see because... Their perspective is not as broad. Now, that's a catch-22 in some ways. Because if, as parents, we are very risk-averse to things, and we're risk-averse to handing that responsibility off to them, there may be a legitimate concern that says, can I not have some of that responsibility? On the other hand, if that young person doesn't own up to the responsibility and the older person sees that, then there is the restraint that is going to be imposed. So it's not just that I've been young and I've been old, and because you're young, you don't know anything, and because you're old, you know everything. Sometimes because we're old, we don't know some things, and because you're young, you do know some things. So it's, so it's kind of a shaking of the hands. But young people are kind of like airplanes. The only time we ever hear about them is when they crash. However, I would say more often than the times they crash, our young people are successful in their flight. And I don't think we ought to set the template or the expectation that they're going to crash just because they're young people. You know the old adage. You know the old saw. Just wait till they become teenagers. What, do you want to skip it? Do you want to go from 2 to 20? You know what you'll have at 20? You'll have a 2-year-old. Yes, those teenage years for them can be challenging, but that does not mean when they're teenagers, all life has gone to pot. As teenagers, they have some scruples, they have some sense about them, and I think we ought to set the expectation high for them as as opposed to setting the bar low for them. After all, when we think about the Word of God, and we think about young people in the Word of God that excelled We have more stories about young people of God that excelled than young people of God that failed. I'm thinking perhaps of that young boy, Joseph. You talk about literally being in a pit. He's in a pit for 17 years. His parents are nowhere to be seen. And yet, at every turn, Joseph makes a decision. And the reason he makes the decision he makes is because he says, how can I do this thing and sin against my God? He had a very God-centered attitude, a very God-centered heart. Our young people can have that kind of heart. I think about Daniel and his three friends. It's speculated, thought that they were somewhere between 14 and 16 years old whenever they were taken captive from their homeland. They're taken from Jerusalem to miles away to Babylon and are going to be the 70 years. Daniel spends the rest of his life there. And Daniel becomes counselor to several kings, And several potentates and does well and those three young men when challenged to bow before an idol say we will stand with god what must it have been like that day when the holy spirit came to that young girl of approximately 14 years old and said to her you have found favor with god You will bear the Holy One. Can you imagine the weight of that on that young lady? Or when an old curmudgeoned uncle whose backbone was all gristle, who refused to bow to a haughty, proud, arrogant prince strutting himself on his white steed, exercising his power with a great authority and usurpation of the people themselves, Mordecai told his young niece, you must go to the king. Who knows what at this time God has put you here in this place. She was resistant at first because the king had not called her. From the book of Ricky, Mordecai says, look here, sweetheart. A decree has been given, and all your people are going to be wiped off the face of this earth, and that includes being you. But you have the opportunity to go change the course of this world. Every one of these young people faced what our young people today faced. They faced social pressures. They had questions. They had doubts. They had stresses. They had family issues. Every one of them did. But every one of them made a choice, a choice for God. If you'd like to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 34, and then turn to 2 Kings chapter 21, 22, and 23, put your marker there, a piece of paper there, fold the page, however you want to. We're going to flip back and forth to some things as we go. But in this particular set of passages, you find the story of a young man by the name of Josiah. Josiah did not, did not grow up in times that were princely. That is, the way was not paid for him with a silver spoon in his mouth. The nation was corrupt. As I've asked you to turn there, turn to Jeremiah chapter 6 just a moment because I want you to see the circumstances of the nation that Josiah is in at this time. Jeremiah chapter 6. As you look at Jeremiah chapter 6, I want you to see beginning in verse 16. Verse 16. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. And where is the good way? And walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. And I said, A watchman over you saying, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not not listen therefore you hear o nations O not and know o congregation what is among them hear o earth behold i will certainly bring calamity on this people the fruit of their thoughts because they've not heeded my words nor my law but rejected it for what purpose to me comes frankincense from sheba sweet cane from a far country your burnt offerings are not acceptable nor your sacrifices sweet to me therefore thus says the lord Behold, I will lay a stumbling block before this people and the fathers and the sons together shall fall on them and the neighbor and his friend shall perish. That's the time that Josiah is in. The nation is corrupt. And Josiah is now called to a nation that has been wrapped in idolatry for years. And they've not kept the Passover for years. They've not listened to the law of God for years. And now Josiah is dropped into that circumstance. The question is, what can we learn from Josiah that is applicable for every age with regard to how Josiah made decisions and how he was successful? Let me add this codicil, however, this amendment. As Gregory we will see some things about Josiah. Jeremiah never says anything about Josiah that is a commendation or approval until he dies. He offers one brief word of compliment at the end. I think we'll see why a part of that's the case as we unfold the story. The first thing I'd like to share with you as we think about this is, Josiah didn't waste time getting serious about the Lord. I've asked you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles chapter 34. I want you to begin reading with me in verse 1. 2 Chronicles 34 and verse 1. Josiah was 8 years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and did what was right in the the, sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem at the high places and wooden images and carved images and molded images. They broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and the incense which were above above them were cut down. And the wood images, the carved images, the molded images, he broke in pieces, made dust of them, and scattered it on the graves of those, he said, who had sacrificed to them. The first thing you see here is, there are three different ages that are mentioned here. The first you see, he says in verse 1, he was eight years old. Here is a young man, eight years old, who has dropped into being the king. That might be tantamount to being eight years old, and you have been appointed the president. Now I have... A nine-year-old grandson and I don't think McCoy is ready to be president of the United States but here is Josiah and he's put in that place at eight years old furthermore you see what is said in verse 3 for the eighth year of his reign when he was still young he began to see his father the God of his father, David. Now he's 16 years old. Parenthetical thought. I'm not saying 16 is a magic age. I'm not suggesting that if you're 16, you need to be baptized for the mission of your sins. That is not what this is suggesting. But there is a point that is made here about Josiah, parenthesis, clothes. I not you to see what was done here. In verse 2 he says, He did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn to the right hand or to the left. David's not his father. David is like several greats down the line as a father. Why does the writer of Chronicles mention David his father? Because there's not been one since David, like David, David who was a man after God's own heart. And did you see that? He walked from the way with his father David and did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And notice the key. For the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father. He began to seek him. And that reminds me of what the Lord says in Matthew chapter 7. Seeking ye shall find, knocking it shall be open. He sought the Lord. He walked in the ways of his father David. He was a man after God's own heart like David. And he began to seek the Lord. And now notice, in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places with images and carved images and mold images. Now he is 20-something years old, 20 years old. So now then you have three different age groups. At age 16, I don't think most young men at age 16 are worried about trying to be a king. They may have just realized girls are for hitting, girls are for loving at that point. Before that, they've kind of been eek yucky. But now they're opening their eyes, they're saying girls are pretty. And here you have this young man who now is opening his eyes, and he has also faced the same things our young people face. Maybe it's a different dress that he has on or shirt that it has on. But you still have the problem that young people face today. Sex outside of marriage, fornication. You have drugs, you have alcohol, you have foul language, you have peers that influence for wrong. All those things are things that young men 16 years old face. But notice it says here, as we read, in the 12th year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem and all the car damages. Now he's 20 years old that he does this. Here at age twenty, he is now seeking to purge the land. Here is a young man who begins to get serious about the Lord early. He began early to seek the Lord and purge the nation. Here is a young man that got serious about the task. I remember the words of Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12 as he speaks to Timothy. To be an example of believers in conduct, in work, in purity, in love, and in faith. And while Timothy may not have been a teenager at this point, he's talking to Timothy as a young man from an older man's perspective, and he says to that younger man, you need to be an example of, you need to be an example of believers in conduct. You need to pay attention to how you act. You need to be serious about this. People are watching you when you say you're a Christian. People are watching you and how you have You need to pay serious attention. You need to pay serious attention to how you speak. And you need to pay serious attention to your purity and your love and your faith. He says you need to spare, spend atten- uh, time paying attention to that. Ask people. Ask people who have delayed in their life years later being serious about coming to the Lord. Ask them how they feel do Do you feel like you wasted many years Here's someone that waits till their fifties Here's someone that waits till their seventies, and they will tell you, I wasted far too much time in those teenage years between fifteen and eighteen, maybe fifteen to twenty years old you're You're forming habits, and you are developing things you're developing habits, and you are sowing seeds. That will produce a harvest of weeds that you will pull the rest of your life if you don't get serious about serving the Lord. Those habits will stay with you. But one habit that you can begin is you can begin to acquire Bible knowledge. So the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You, pick at, you can begin to become familiar with the word of God and seek the Lord. That's the first thing that we find that Josiah did. The second thing that we find Josiah doing is he did not let his family stand in the way. We turn back to Second Kings chapter 21 now. Second Kings chapter 21. You know, we just recently had the coronation of King Charles. And the two people have been in the news lately about as much as Charles and Camilla have been William and his wife. Because William is the heir apparent to the throne. Why is he the heir apparent to the throne? Because of the family he was born in. It was nothing of his merit. He was just born into the family, and he's born in the right birth order. Harry is always known as the spare. William is always known as the apparent king. The point I'm trying to make is, the question is, does it make a difference? Does it make a difference what family you're born into? If we're going to seek the Lord. Look at what happens in 2 Kings chapter 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he built high places, which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal and made a wooden image and as ahab king of israel had done he worshiped all the hosts of the heaven and served them he also built altars in the house of the lord of which the lord had said in jerusalem i will put my name he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the lord and he made his sons pass through the fire practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft consulted spiritists and mediums he did much evil in the sight of the lord to provoke him to anger And he says, he even set a carved image of Asherah and made it in the house of the Lord. Here is Josiah's grandfather. His grandfather is the idolater of idolaters. He would be, we might call the chief idolater. If there's a king of idolaters, he's the king of it. And he's reigned for 55 years. But now then, notice what it says in verse 19 of 2 Kings 21. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king and reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulamah, the daughter of Heraz of Jotbah, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. So he walked in the ways that his father walked and served the idols his father had served and worshipped them and forsook the Lord God of his father's and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Pause. What possible chance does Josiah, an 8-year-old, 16-year-old, 20-year-old, possibly have coming up in this environment? What possible chance does he have to get it right? He's not 57 years old, but the nation has been for 57 years. In corruption upon corruption of idolatry. How is this young man ever going to get it right? Notice what happens to, to his father. We stop just short of that. Verse 20. Verse twenty. For he took the law, of the, uh, so he walked in the ways of his father, and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. And the servants of Ammon conspired against him, and killed the king in his house. But the people of the land... Executed all those things who conspired against King Ammon. The people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. It was so bad with his father that his own servants took his life. Can you imagine living in that kind of, of putridity, that kind of a filth, that kind of spiritual degradation that's taking place in a nation like that? This young man has no possible chance to get it right. He is raised in the wrong possible environment. I remember Ezekiel chapter 18. There's a proverb that is mentioned there. The children's teeth are set on edge because the fathers have eaten sour grapes. And what they're saying is, we are experiencing the consequences of the decisions of our fathers. If our fathers had not done evil, we would not be experiencing the things we are experiencing. And what Ezekiel goes to great limit to tell them is, no, your teeth are not set on edge because of what your father has done. Your teeth are set on edge because of what you have done. And if, you've been eating sire, if your teeth are still on edge, it's because you've been eating sour grapes. And this is what he says. Here's a man who can do right and serve the Lord. And he can have a son who doesn't do right, do right and serve the Lord. But he can have a grandson who decides to do right and serve the Lord. However, that son can decide to, serve, to not serve the Lord. And the grandson can make a decision to serve the Lord. But the decision is his. Just because Ammon and Manasseh had been evil did not excuse the responsibility that Josiah had to seek the Lord like his father David. So we can't blame our families for the choices that we make. We can't blame the environment environment for the choices that we make. Here you have Josiah. He did not have a father or a grandfather to go to church with. He did not have a father or grandfather could agree with him on any spiritual thing. He doesn't have a grandfather or grandfather that respected the Lord. In fact, they defied the Lord that he began to seek. What kind of influence is that father and grandfather going to have over that grandson? Why did he decide to seek the Lord? Put a peg there. We'll come to that in a moment. Why did he decide to do that? There's got to be something in his life that led him that way. What is there that's there? What enabled him to be successful when his father and grandfather for 57 years had made choices to defy God and to corrupt everything where God had recorded his name? How can this young man do this? I mean, isn't that an excuse today? And it's not new today? Well, my, and you fill in the blank, my environment, my, my parents, my peers, whatever, wait a minute, here's a young man who had environmentally no foreseeable future for success, serving the Lord, and had great success in serving the Lord. He got serious about the Lord's early on, but he didn't let his family stand in the way. And what I would say to all of us is the Lord came to put a sword to put to put a sword between parent and children. And he said, if you love mother, father, brother, sister, son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. And I I appreciate how great family is. Trust me, I do. The older I get, the more I appreciate it, all the more. But it's the Lord first. And we love the Lord Mother, we love our family. And so he sought the Lord and had no help at all at home from his father's grandfather. The third thing I want you to see about this is he, sur- he surrounded himself with incredible, incredible people. Look at 2 Kings chapter 22 and verse 1. Josiah was 8 years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah the daughter of Adiah, of Boschus. And it did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or the left. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that he, that he sent King Shaphan the scribe, and the son of Azaliah, the son of Eshulam, to the house of the Lord, go up to Hilkiah the priest. Drop down to verse 14. To Hilkiah the priest, Ahiakim, Akbar, Shaphan, Aziah went up to hold of the, priest, the prophetess, the wife of Shulam the son of Tikva, and it says they spoke with her. Here you have Josiah is surrounding himself with good counselors. Look at verse 19. He says, Because your heart was tender, you humbled yourself before the Lord. When you heard what I spoke against this place, against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. And you tore your clothes and wept before me. I have also heard you, says the Lord. Here he surrounded himself with spiritual giants. Here is his mother. Here are these priests that are spiritual giants, but you also have Jeremiah and Zephaniah that are there as well. There's a proverb that says, if you want to be wise, walk with wise men. Another one says, you can take your own counsel, but that's folly, but in the counsel of many, there is wisdom, and you will not fall. What well, I would say to all of us, but our young people here is, you need to surround yourself with wise counsel. There's a lot of counsel out there that's not wise. And what that means then is that means that you listen. The word communicate is an interesting word. The word companion is a compound word that means messmate. And you extrapolate that all out. It means one with whom you share life. The word communicate is one with whom you share information. The idea is to make information common. To make information common requires two things. It requires a speaker. It requires a listener. And the listener must listen not to answer, but the listener must listen to the speaker to digest what the speaker's having to say. It requires listening. I remember the words of Solomon Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1. Remember the creator of the days of thy youth. Why did he say that? Is it because you might die tomorrow? Well, young people do die. That's not why. He said, remember thy creator in the days of your youth because you probably are going to live a long life and you need to remember your creator. Do you remember that young boy in Luke chapter 15? He got far away from home and do you remember what it says? He remembered he remembered. He'd been having all the wrong counselors, but he remembered his home and his father's counsel. Paul will say it like this you need to watch your companions because they can corrupt you. Evil pulls down more than God more than good pulls up. And so surround yourself with incredible people. Yes, that's your parents. I was sharing with a Capstone class this last Wednesday, the cl- last class. The greatest single influence in a young person's life are not their peers. And yet, when you're in high school, most cases—not all—most think their peers are the wisest, smartest people that ever were, and they want to be close to their peers because they are so precious and dear to them. I said most, not all. And that means they'll listen to their peers before they'll listen to their mother and daddy. Now, I realize I grew up in Denton, Texas, not small-town USA, and I realize there's small-town USA here. And I realize you may have grown up in a high school with a class of eight people. And every year you have a class reunion, you go back to that class reunion, and you still know people from that class reunion. I graduated a class of 500. As I've told you, I was in half of the class that made the top half possible. I was was a very integral part to the graduation. I'm not saying this bragging. We wouldn't just celebrate our 50th year of graduation. We didn't get an invitation to come because we've not been a single one. And I'm not saying this to be ugly. I don't mean anything. There were two things I wanted out of high school. I wanted Jody and I wanted a diploma. And I got them both and I was done. Those people didn't care for me. I didn't care a lot for them. And they're not my life. And I have no relationship with them. And what I'm telling you is, as the time transitions, you won't either. And so going to separate yourself From those who can be your wisest counselors, the greatest influence in your life, the greatest influence in your life are your parents, not your friends. You have in this congregation a great advantage because you have a number of young a number of people here that would love to be a person that helps you walk in the ways of wisdom. You have eight shepherds that would love. To shepherd you in doing that, but you have Bible class teachers galore. You have people who are not, not, not a one of those, but they're people who love, love you and love God's people who would wrap you in their arms. We have, we have plain people. We have doctors. We have engineers. We have lawyers. We have all stripes and brands that have a wide, wide array of experiences that can help you Find a wise counselor and listen. But let me say one thing else. That goes the other way too. Parents, we need to listen too. Now, I realize there's a time in which you tell your child, sit down, You're going to listen. I don't care what you have to say. You're going to listen to me. I realize that. That's the exception, not the rule. There's a time to listen to them, too, because they may be telling you something. I told you a few weeks ago that when we sat down at the table, Jody got after me because I sat there and I thought we were supposed to eat. I thought that's what we came to do. She said, no, we came here to talk to the kids. I'm thinking, then why do we have food here? But I also remember this, different situation. She told me one time, said, you never talk to the kids. I said, they're not interested in what I had to say. So there was a circumstance that came up regarding Cam, that she wanted to do something. And I said, no, I didn't think it was a good thing to do. Well, in our family, when there was a question of something that we didn't know about, our default was we called granddad. That's my dad. So Cody said, let's call granddad. Fine. I'll call granddad. I'm on the phone, and my son says, dad, don't mess it up. And so I get on the phone. I tell dad what's going on. And Cody says, oh, dad, give me the phone. You messed it up. He gets on the phone and tells granddad the very same thing I just said. And after just a few seconds, he says, okay, granddad, I love you, and hung up. I said, what did granddad say? Cody said, he said the same thing you said. I said, well, what was the difference? Cody said, he knows what he's talking about. Audrey Jodin said, see? (laughs) Travestive (laughs) matter, my dad didn't know what he was talking about. Sometimes we need to hush till we need to listen. It's vital. I wish I had learned that a lot earlier. Last point. Last point today, and that is, he stood with the Lord. Hezekiah, Josiah stood with the Lord. I want you to look again at Second Kings chapter 23. I'm not going to read all these verses for time's sake, but I'm going to highlight what takes place. I'll just go through this with you. Look at what he did. In verse 6, he burned and ground to ashes the graves of the companions. In verse 10, he defied Tophath. In verse 11, he removed horses of the kings. At the bottom, he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. In verse 12, it says, The king broke down and pulverized there and threw the dust, into the, threw the dust other into the brook of Kidron. In verse 13, Then the king defied the high places that were east of Jerusalem. Verse 14, he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with the bones of men in verse 15 he broke down and he burned you have in verse in verse 16 it says he burned he defiled and then you have in verse 19 he took away in verse 20 he executed all the priests of the high places they were there and the altars and burned men's bones on them and he returned to jerusalem and in verse 21 it says this he kept the passover to the lord your god as is written in the book of the covenant, you see what he did. Josiah went in and he he just wiped out everything that had to do with idolatry. And then, when the book of law was brought to him, he read in the book of law, "There's a feast we're supposed to be keeping as the Passover. Not since the days of the prophet Samuel." had the Passover been observed. That's 400 years. For 400 years, the Passover had not been observed. What's the significance of the Passover to them? You remember when God passed over the Hebrews who had their blood on the doorpost and the lintel, and every firstborn was spared? And then Paul will also say in 1 Corinthians that Jesus is our Passover, that because of his blood, we are spared. They had forgotten the memorial, to the blood that was given to spare their lives. We do something the first day of every week. In my 68 years of life, I've never been a Sunday where I have not observed this, and for some period of time now I have been participating in it. We're protecting the memorial. The memorial for what? The body? And the blood? the body that bore our is the blood that purchased our redemption. How many generations of 400? I didn't do the math. I'm asking. How many generations of 400? Think about it. And so for 400 years, that many generations, the Lord's Supper has not been observed as a memorial among God's people. That all of a sudden, somebody opens up the book and says, oh, wait a minute. We're supposed to be observing the memorial on the first day of every week. And we do that and say, wow, we've been missing something. He stood with the Lord. He helped them keep the feast of the Passover and tore down all the high places. Here's a young man, about he's 20, that does all this. And we think at ages 16 to 20, they're gone off the rails. They have no sense. They can't do anything that's right. No. You can do right. You are smart. You are intelligent. And you do have, you do have within you the tools to be spiritually minded and to make right decisions. You know what's interesting is, at about age 17, God never says, Joseph, I'm sorry, you're too young. He never says to Daniel, "She had to me to Go. I'm sorry, but he's 14 to 16. You're too young." He never says to Mary, "Oh, wait a while. If you give me seven more years, you'll be 21 years old. That'll be about right. You're too young. We'll wait." He never says to them, "You are too young." Being young is not an excuse. Being young is an opportunity. I wish when I had been young. And I guess compared to Joe, I'm still young, but. I wish when I had been young, I had taken advantage of the opportunity because I wasted it. I invited a girl to go to church at Eastside in Denton. And she went because she's had a heart for God her whole life. But it wasn't because I was serving God right. I wasted the opportunity. And we often say, our young people are the future of the church, and what we are older who mean by that is, you're doing a great job, and we want to encourage you to keep doing the great job now. But that's not what they hear. Translated, what that means is, young people, future of the church. Oh, we got a while before we have to be active and do and, and do anything. No. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. And what you can do today is is you can grow in your knowledge. You can lead people in worship. You you can be an encouragement to people. You can take notes. You can write cards. You can greet. What if our what if our young people all of a sudden got motivation and said, You know, I see these fellows out here at the door. I even see a guy in a wheelchair out the door greeting people. I can go stand by Eli and I can greet people out there. I can tell people and say, I want you to, I'm glad you're here. And look who's doing that. The young people are doing that. You can do that. It doesn't take a PhD. You have to have a or a bachelor's science. You can just be a Christian and do that. And ultimately, what you can do as a young person and what I can do in my age and those in between, what we can do is we can do this. We can seek the Lord. And that's my exhortation to you this morning. In all stages of life, wherever you're at, with whomever you are, please set your heart to seek the Lord and people who seek the Lord never fail and people who seek the Lord have no regrets if there's something we can do this morning that will help you be right with him we want to do that would you have the hope that Wayne had and that hope is in Christ himself and That hope is found because you've had your sins washed away by the blood of Christ that is our Passover lamb. And you can serve him faithfully. We can be successful people of God in this world today. This is the kind of world Josiah was born in and lived in. And we can do it. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions@thebibleway.com. Questions@thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.